Father God, that was a short. That time. was a short blow. <laughs> Didn't want to have another episode. I, we were waiting for the rest of it. I was in the elevator today, and about two hours in, dust got caked on the side of my throat, and I had no water. We had one sheet of glass to go, and it was like <laughs> it was close. <laughs> you, you were quacking, huh? <clears throat> oh, it was, it was like quacking, fall, quacking. Fall out of the elevator, choking. Oh no. Oh well. Is it true that your elevator only went? Goes halfway up. Um, well, no, my elevator goes all the way up. Just the lights aren't on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when you open the refrigerator, the light comes on. Get to the top floor, it's like no one's there. All right, Mr. Cole, you ready, Fred? Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord. Father God, we we come to you with, uh, with our hearts uh, uh, concerned over over the mandates that the government's making to bring people um, to a point where they have to take a, 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 um, a vaccine for this so-called coronavirus. And, uh, Father God, we, I, we just ask and we ask for your protection and uh, um, over everybody in this church that doesn't want to take that um, a vaccine that uh, that you make a way for them that they won't have to take it and that they will be able to continue working and um, we come against the uh, uh, this the spirit uh, and this of antichrist in this country that is uh, trying to uh, squash um, our religious freedoms and our rights uh, and um, we we just come to you and ask you for for protection and we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace and we thank you that you you make a way for every one of us we praise you we thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy mm -hmm. and there is none like you father god there's none like you lord jesus there's none like you holy spirit praise be to you in christ's name amen amen, amen. 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 Well, you get ready to start and you remember something you didn't put in here oh well Okay, right off the start, title of this is Jesus Joy. Jesus Joy. And um, I have to start with a confession. And my confession is that, um, well, I've been guilty. Oh, haven't we all? I'm guilty. And I'm uh, not making light of that guilt, but I'm going to share this, which to me was kind of like a... Where have I been for, you know, 56 years? You might have said, Nick, you didn't know that? And, okay, cool. I'm good with that. So, Jesus' joy. Hebrews 12, 2. But we got to get around to start, so we're going to start in Genesis 1, 1. Cool. So it's all in context. There you go. Hebrews 1, 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is how we run. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, 
For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. What carried him through the cross? Looking for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. It was the joy set before him that allowed him to disregard the fact that he was being hung out, beaten and bare, as a common criminal. An innocent man dying for our sins, he despised that shame for the joy that was set before him. So we're supposed to run in the same way that in our race, as we're laying aside all that weight that we talked about, all these things that are clung to our flesh that cause us problems and issues when we're running the race. Uh, uh, Andrew Murray says the one question is, will this help me in the race? <laughs> and you know, your life decisions. Will this help me in the race? My race with Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. For the joy that was set before him. So, we have these balancing concepts that you will find uh, throughout Scripture, and that is the combination or the juxtaposition of suffering and joy and suffering and glory. Joy differs from happiness. Yes. Okay? And we can think a lot of times of joy as being a, a deeper sensation and happiness, like, you know, you have a birthday party, I'm happy, happy birthday to you, you get gifts, okay, and, and joy, and that you're contented. Oftentimes with these words, it can be, we know what it is, but when you, when you want to start defining it, where do you grab the words, right, what, what does it mean, what does it mean to have joy, and, okay, so, would, would joy, would joy bring inner peace? No, but she will bring you a sandwich. Joy, yeah, she will bring you a sandwich. She'll bring you inner peace. Uh, joy bring inner peace? Joy involves inner peace. And um, sometimes it helps when we're trying to understand a word is, is understand what its opposite is. And joy is often um, balanced out or, or held in antithesis to tribulation, trials, trauma, you know, we know what it's like when we're not joyful, yeah. when all of life is a push, a battle, a fight, you know, grief, all, grief, all H is breaking loose, yeah. and, and even though that's the case, and we'll read some of these verses, the Lord tells us, the scripture tells us, rejoice, yeah. so there is this function of joy that is decision-based, that's not circumstance-based, that we could choose by nature of what we focus on, what our attitude of heart is, what true gladness is. And uh, one of the theological definitions of this, of this joy, um, I wonder, this is from the exe exegetical dictionary of the New Testament on the word behind joy, okay, which is, which is Cairo, if you care. Um, it says that in disagreement with prevailing modern understanding, 
Joy primarily refers not to an involuntary and internal emotion. It's not an involuntary and internal emotion, but like righteousness and peace, to comprehensive, value-centered, complex behavior, such as friendliness, generosity, self-sacrifice, overcoming adversity. And like righteousness can stand for the sum of Christian behavior, of being joyful. So, it's not a psychotic state, like being manic. Okay? Um, I, I don't, I've never been manic-depressive. I have been manic. <laughs> okay? And, and so it's not a psychotic state where, you, you know, everyone's asking you if you're on drugs because you're behaving like it. Okay? Um, it's, it's not a circumstance-based thing where, um, wow, all lights were green. Woo, I won the lottery. My goodness, it's a new house. You know, so all, and, and so all circumstances seem to fall in your favor. Now, now we're joy. No, no, it's, it's, this, it's this place of overriding, overarching contentment and happiness uh, based upon relationship. Okay? So... I doubt my ability to communicate this correctly. So I'll just give you the punchline, and then we'll walk through it. And then if you hear the punchline again, and it was a surprise, you can act like that. Ooh, I never thought of that, right? The joy that was laid before him, and the joy laid before us, well, it's not the mansion. And it's not angel's food cake. And it's not the wine at the wedding feast. It's the people at the feast. Mm. Amen. It's the people at the feast. Suffering and joy are balanced against each other. Suffering and glory are balanced against each other. Okay? So let's look at suffering and joy for a minute. Matthew 5, this is Sermon on the Mount, verse 11 through 13. Blessed are you... When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, note the qualifiers. Now, people can talk bad about you and they might be telling the truth. <laughs> you know? If the shoe fits, wear it. Right? <clears throat> but if they're saying all kinds of evil things and false things about you because you're behaving Christ-like, that's a different story. Jesus says... Rejoice, that's the verb. Be glad, that's the noun. Action and state. You get to decide. So you're having all kinds of relational issues out here in the world, but you're having it because of your relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. This is where I'm guilty. I've done this my whole life. When I think about rewards in heaven, I think about them like rewards on earth. I think about them like a raise. Or perhaps, uh, I don't know, a new tool. Um, a promotion. Uh, a new baby. <laughs> and not that babies are things. But, you know, um, I, I tend to think about things. God forbid. 
You know, he went there to me. I wonder what my mansion's going to be like. And your relationships. Right? Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to remember that. Your reward's great because they persecuted the prophets. You're in a special club here. You're in a special place. I've shared this many times before, but heaven became real to me when I was a little child, and I asked my dad, after hearing the Bible story about John the Baptist getting his head chopped off, I turned to him and I said, I wonder if that hurt. He said, I don't know, son. When you get to heaven, why don't you ask him? And, and in that moment, in my memory, the entire thing became real. He's, John's a real guy. He really got his head cut off. I'm really going to heaven. I'm really going to be able to meet this guy and talk about the experience. Woo! <laughs> I thought that was excellent, right? Yes, absolutely. You know? Luke 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Again, note the qualifier. I've known people who, are, who, are, who believe in Christ and, and, it, and in the period of time that I knew them, I hope they've grown, they were absolute jerks. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to hang out with them. Um, and yet, when things would go against them, they would wear the banner of Christ. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's, because, it's because, you know, the devil's working through him against me. Well, no, it's because you're a jerk. You know? I mean, <laughs> being born again gives you no right to act like a jerk. And so if, 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 if you're a slacker at work and people have a problem with you because you're not holding up your end of the bargain, um, that's got nothing to do with Jesus, right? But if you're working hard and... I remember my brother, when he got a job, this is Eric, he got a job at the post office, and about midway through the day, the other post office guys came to him and said, hey, you got to stop that. Stop what? Slow down. Making us all look bad. You can't work like that here. You know, that's a different story. <laughs> Understand? Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Joy has a physical activity. <laughs> Joy has body language to it, right? Uh, when, when the 70 came back and, and they confessed that, that, you know, the spirits were subject and Jesus rejoiced, that the verb means he jumped up and down. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the television um, uh, medium Jesus, that's what I call him, you know, the channeler. Oh, I am so happy for you. Hold on, I'm getting the regret from the Father. Don't rejoice because the, you know. No, I mean, he like, whoa! Yeah, I mean, he's jumping up and down. He rejoiced. It has leap for joy, and behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So their fathers did to the prophets. So, again, I already confessed my lack of ability to communicate this correctly, so the story is not going to be linear. Or even in the way I imagined it. My brother Franklin passed away Thursday. So, um, he finally succumbed to renal failure. Um, talked to my sister today, and thank God, she sounded great. Because last time I talked to her, she didn't. She couldn't talk. Um, 
she sounded great. But I was talking with my brother Franklin. So for those of you who don't know my brother Frank, and even for those of you who do, um, I'm the youngest of seven. Frank came into the Laram household before I was born. My second oldest brother, John, was a manic depressive. And he was a manic depressive when he was, you know, just dealt with depression his entire life. Um, he, uh, he called himself the black sheep of the family. <laughs> John. John was a teenager, maybe 15, out in Santa Cruz. He found this kid, Franklin Kangle, 16 years old, a year younger than my brother Ron, living on the beach. Living on the beach because, well, his dad was a colonel in the Airborne, and he raised his first two boys in a way that would ensure that they could withstand a prisoner of war camp. And so around 15, you know, Frank had enough of that, or 16. John brought him home. My dad led him to the Lord. Franklin goes to Vietnam. 82nd Airborne, I think. The build-up to Tet. In my conversations with him later in life, so he, he was involved in some, he, he sergeant involved in some, some recon type operations. They were into, in, into a village. They started getting shot at. He was, um, anyhow, he took a round in the magazine of his M16. It blew up in his arms, took out major chunks of his right forearm. Any of you who ever knew him had ever noticed that his forearm was shorter. That was why. When he hit the rice paddy and started to crawl out, he took a bullet wound through the heel, mm -hmm. and his biggest upset was they took him out of the country. He didn't want to stop fighting. Okay. My earliest memories of Franklin were um, of him going through rehab and the, the braces that he had on his arms. So, um, but his earliest memories of me were when mom came home from the hospital. That was a baby. Okay. So I'm texting with my brother Ron, making sure that he had heard from my sister. And I have to read the words because I'll get them wrong if I don't. So bear with me. I asked him if he'd been in contact with, my, with Barbara. And he says, yes I have, and I'm processing the passing. I've been aware of his progressive dementia and Barbara's challenges with that, as well as his slowly progressing renal failure. With brothers John and Michael gone, I am likely alone with memories of Franklin coming to our home as a quote-unquote foster child. He was a, a year younger than me and a year behind me in high school. John was a year behind Franklin. It was about a year that we three were living together on La Cuesta Drive. That's in Santa Cruz. I finished high school in June of 65, so I was three months old and left for boot camp in August. So I was a baby when my brother went to Vietnam. Franklin finished high school in June of 66 and left for army boot camp shortly thereafter. This is the point I want you to catch. His time in Vietnam overlapped mine for a brief period. We shared common space as combat veterans. That space is only enterable by those who have experienced it. So along with his testimony of life and everything else, there, there was a brotherhood that Franklin and Ronald shared by nature of being in the same battle space that nobody else can touch. Um, Franklin had severe PTSD. 
Uh, he was functional, but he dealt with PTSD his entire life. God used him. He used him mightily in this church. He used him mightily in my life. Yeah. May I, 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 I knew Franklin. He came to this church and he, uh, he spake at this church for, he didn't know the people in the church, but of course he knew Nick. And he spake at this church for a solid five days in a row. He would start teaching about 6.30 at night and uh, the teaching would wind up somewhere around 11.30 or 12. And no one complained. And in the course, <laughs> in the course of the teaching, he was a true prophet. Amen. He would, and, and when I say that, he would all of a sudden pick somebody out that he didn't know and prophesy over them. And some of these prophecies came true years later. So he was a true prophet of God. He was not just another guy. He was, he was a true prophet of God. Amen. Amen. So in my life, my testimony of it is, is that my father took a homeless boy into his house, led him to Jesus. And then later on, that grown man came back to his widow's house and restored my mother in the Lord. And then, several years later, restored my sister in the Lord, married her, raised her daughters, and then uh, came alongside a young man struggling with work, family, and ministry, and walked with that young man for years to get him squared away. Any you. That's me. And uh, I have more to that story, but I can't tell it without crying. All that said, he and Ron were in Vietnam together. He and Ron got shot at in the same battle space and shared a fellowship that I can't touch. I'm reading a, uh, a book um, called The Forever War, which is, uh, I can't recall, that the, the journalist's name escapes me at the moment, but he was um, a, an entrenched journalist in Afghanistan and Iraq. He was in Baghdad and all the madness for like four years. And you can tell from his reporting, um, him going into battle fatigue, and, and PTSD, and, and he said he talked to one of his contacts who had come out of Iraq. I'm in the epilogue now. And, and the guy he's talking to, he says, I, you know, people ask me about Iraq, and I can't, I really can't talk to anybody about Iraq who was not there. And this journalist said, I really can't talk to anybody about anything that wasn't in Iraq. I can't relate. I can't relate. I can't relate the experience. My brother's wife, my sister-in-law, uh, we were in Spain, and the period that we lived in Spain, uh, Protestants were actively persecuted. Not on the level they'd been like centuries before when they were being burnt at the stake, but it, it restricted your educational options, it restricted your um, employment options. If you were a Baptist or, you know, an evangelical, if you were not Catholic, um, our churches were smaller, our fellowships were tighter, and it was, you know, part of our um, Sunday school was Voice of the Martyrs. You know, it wasn't reserved for the adult class. That was, that was our bread and butter growing up, and, and the reason why we were Protestants. You know, we weren't Baptists, we were Protestants. We have an issue with, with your icons and your idol worship, and your Catholic excesses, and we're here to help you be free in Jesus. You know? 
So I share in my testimony that, you know, being, being a, a Protestant, uh, a Spanish Protestant was like being, um, you know, uh, just, it's like being a militant Protestant, just shy of Irish, you know. We weren't blowing anybody up, okay. So we're visiting, this is 10 years ago, and, and all, all these young people who grew up together in Christ, and, and we're all hanging out, out in the open, having a good time, and my sister and I asked, how do you think it is in the church now? What's your fellowship like? She said, I think it was sweeter when we were persecuted. You hang closer together and tighter together, I think. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Not on account of what political party affiliation I want. Not on account of whether, you know, I think green is bad and wasteful is good or any cause celeb of the day, but because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. There's a level of fellowship in heaven, absent the sufferings of Christ, we will not be able to enter into. There will be a sweetness of fellowship we will have no relation to if we have not begun to be overtly enough Christian that it causes the world a problem. You understand? I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about being holier than thou. All you have to do is follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, you're going to upset the world. And there'll be some backlash. <laughs> I'm not saying go look for backlash, but if you examine your life and you're not having issues with anybody, maybe you're having issues with somebody. Understand? Acts 5, verse 40. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. This is after Gamaliel said, Hey guys, if this is a God thing, you're on the wrong track. Okay, well let's beat them up. Maybe we can pull it now, right? So they beat him up, they sent him out, and they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. Just say God, just praise God. Just God did it, right? Jesus of Nazareth did it. No, no, let's not talk about Jesus. Let's not talk about an actual historical person who walked that we know that we condemned to death. I don't want to hear about him. Just give glory to God, everything will be all right. Jesus did it. Okay, 40 lashes. Out on the street, what do they do? Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease <laughs> teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah. It's not feel good. It's not just, you know, character values. Um, it's, it's Jesus, okay? Romans verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace wherein which we stand. Remember, grace isn't something that just happened back... Oh, you know, amazing grace. That's how I got born again. I had it then. Right now, I'm alone. <laughs> grace got me in the door. My behavior keeps me in. No, it doesn't work that way. Right? Grace, we, by faith, 
we receive that continual grace from God to continue to walk it out, right? And we rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, it's good to be a Christian, right? Amen. I mean, what a start to... If I'm writing a book, that's a great start for a chapter, right? Wish I could, I could write like that, you know? Chapter 5. Oh, let's give them a good start. And then, like any good marketer, you say, but wait, there's more. That's pretty big, right? Yeah. And then verse 3 says, more than that. What? Wait a minute. More than that? <laughs> more than that? Rejoicing in the glory of God? Being justified and standing by faith and grace? More than that? Yes. More than rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God? Why? It's even better. If you enter now, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. I tell you what, I will testify, even if the suffering is because of your own stupidity when you were a young man, if you suffer in Christ, it's much better. Suffering alone stinks. <laughs> I don't recommend suffering alone to anybody. Right? More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Let us run the race, right, with endurance. And endurance produces character. Why, well, if you fall on the day of trouble, you have no strength, Scripture tells us. God has compassion on the weak, but I tell you what, He has not much tolerance for timidity and wimping out. He's not about wimping out. If, if God was characterized about wimping out, He would have just said, okay, came in time. Oh no. <laughs> How about you go the long way? How about you just, I want you to walk through the sea, because it's really fun for me. <laughs> I want you to see what I could do to an army. Right? Build some character. Character produces hope. See, if you wimp out, you never know there's sunshine at the end of the tunnel. All you know is the tunnel. Every time you hit a problem, all you know is failure. But if you, in hope, continue to run, you see reward. And it builds character. So when a day gets dark, you know it's going to get bright again. Amen? Amen. And hope does not put us to shame. Now watch this. Why, does not, why doesn't hope put us to shame? It's not because of the mansion. It's not because of the feast. We're not ashamed. Why? Because we're loved. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, note the shame-love component. Because the power of shame says, if anyone really knows that about you, they're not going to love you. If you told them that thing, if they knew that, you're out. I'm ashamed of that. That's why I don't bring it up. If I bring it up, people don't like me. <laughs> right? And yet God says, oh, I've redeemed you. I am continually pumping my love into your heart to let you know that I accept you. There is no shame. See, Jesus despised the shame. Why do we embrace it? Jesus looked at the joy laid before him. 
Now don't get me wrong, I hear someone thinking, well, shame has its purpose. Yes, it does. And then once you confess your sin, get over it. <laughs> there are shameful things. You don't have to keep them. <laughs> you could forsake them, right? The true rewards and hope are relational. The true rewards and hope are relational. That's why love is there, right? So, hope in heaven, a wedding feast of the Lamb, great glorious day, right? Is sitting down at the feast the point or the format? Is it the vehicle? Is it about the feast or is it about the fellowship? You see, all God's interactions with his people through time as he unfolded revelation of redemption involved, okay, right now we're going to eat this about you getting out of Egypt. Now we're going to eat this way because you hung out in the wilderness. Now we're going to eat this way because I gave you a harvest. Now we're going to eat this way. Right? It's all about a continual reminder of that relationship. We share the Lord's Supper. We're eating. Is it about eating or is it about showing His death till He comes? Remembering His suffering. Right? Romans 14, 17. If you needed any other proof that it's not about the food, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So if, and I, I'm telling you, I've been guilty. Mm. I've been guilty of, of, of envisioning, hey, I've, I've said, and I keep to it, you know, I'd rather avoid wine today and have it at the wedding feast. But having wine at the wedding feast isn't the point. Mm. It's who I'm drinking with is the point. Amen. Right? Because the kingdom of God isn't about food and drink. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy, supercharged contented happiness with hopeful expectation. Joy. Amen. Why wouldn't you jump? Right? Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, in his joy, he's found this treasure, he's joying over this treasure, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys the field. Why? Because then he don't have no treasure. Because he has the treasure. Right. We would say he bought the farm. Bought <laughs> uh. oh, the farm, kick the bucket. No. Um, okay. So Jesus tells us this is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like finding something so valuable that you would give everything you have to have it. He says, it's just like this guy who goes out and searching for fine pearls, and he finds, he's going out to buy pearls. He's a merchant. You think he wants a one-piece inventory? No. But he finds this one pearl that's like, uh, it's the pearl. It's not the black pearl. No. It's just, it's the pearl. It's it. And so he sells everything he has and buys that one pearl. Okay? It's a kingdom treasure. Talk about kingdom treasure. The man selling all he has to gain the great prize is both the Lord and us. It's both the Lord and us. Because Jesus gave his all to bring us into the kingdom. We've been, says God, translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. 
That cost Jesus everything. All his position, all his glory, all everything, his entire life, he laid down to bring us into the kingdom. He found the pearl of great price, mm -hmm. Adam's children, and he gave everything he had to gain it. We, we give up everything to inherit it. So there is this inheritance you get by birth, by nature of eternal life. But this inheritance of the kingdom, why? That just costs you everything. Because if you want to be about the kingdom, you've got to be like the guy who found great treasure. And you give up everything to own the field. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, that life is suke in the Greek, whoever would save his soul will lose it. But whoever loses his soul for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give and return for his life? God's exchange, God is ripping us from the world system, even though he, he's the one that put us in the material realm. But he's also the one continually telling us that what's of value isn't the material stuff. We're going to get to the end of chapter 12, Lord willing, and find out that there's a shaking coming. And everything we think is permanent ain't. It's going to shake right off so we can see the kingdom that abides forever. Well, what abides forever? You and I do. Because he gave us eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen? So, running for Jesus isn't about having better toys in heaven. <laughs> it's about having better playmates. Right? <laughs> so suffering and glory. So, so these, these two mirror each other, right? Suffering and joy, suffering and glory. Rejoice when you're suffering. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Again, it's relational. The true treasures in heaven are relational. Though you haven't seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see how those two are joined together? Joy and glory. Even though you can't see Him, even though you can't, you can't see that shining new Jerusalem right now, unless the Lord shows you like He did John or like He did Paul, you still are rejoicing with exceeding joy. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The more in love you are with Jesus, the less problem you have putting everything you are on the cross. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the salvation of your souls, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ, Messiah's death, and the subsequent glories, His reign on earth. It's like, oh, we see this mountain and we see this mountain, but there's this huge valley in between. We don't know what's going on. But what's going on there? What's going on there is the grace 
coming to you. For it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Understand the nature of experience in the treasure of a relationship. Now, there, there, are, there are several among us in this church who experienced an extended period of time in a cul-de-sac of faith called a cult. And our shared experience in that and in coming out of that has developed a bond that is hard for others to enter into. Mm. used to be a problem in this church. New people would come and go, well, this is a click. <laughs> there was no fixing it. Mm -hmm. Because we've been in a war zone together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Thank God. Now, grasp this. Your experience of recognizing, coming to the revelation that you're broken, that you are separated from God, and that your sin stinks, and understanding that Jesus, out of love for you, died, bled, and, and was resurrected, and God redeemed you and gave you eternal life, is something angels know intellectually, but have no idea. It's a wonder to them. Yeah. They can't. It's like, what's that? We have songs that they can't sing. We have an understanding of God's love. Not that they don't know God's love. They do. They stand in His presence every day. But, and they've seen it manifested in what He did for us, but they haven't experienced like we have. Do you understand? That, that the experience you have in Christ is something that angels desire? And not, not in a bad way. Am I communicating? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Luke 24, verse 25. This is to the, uh, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He says, O foolish ones and slow heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? It's like a requirement, <laughs> right? That your degree of suffering determines your degree of glory. I didn't make the rules. And I'm not talking suffering in a Catholic way. I read, I read um, she, she, mean she, she came out of Catholicism, but her testimony was, well, I was supposed to be part of the sufferings for Jesus. This might explain some things for you. If I could take a rabbit trail here just for a minute. Okay. This really came to life for me one day when I realized that Jesus was the second Adam. If the first Adam had given his life for his wife, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. I I, I, I agree with that. I, 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 it's, it, in terms of a theory, I mean it's not it's not anything I would build a church on, but but when when Eve when the woman was in sin and the man was not, there was sinless blood available to, to, to deal with it. And he opted for sin anyway. Well, he was there, he was there while she, when, she, she, when she fell. He took the ape and ate right with her. Yeah, he did. So. Yeah. So. So think about that next time you blame the little woman. <laughs> <laughs> because he processed yeah. it too slowly. But we don't we don't know unequivocally, but but it's you know in, in thinking it through I've thought that myself, 
Um, but it's that kind of thing. It, it, the, the whole salvation was built into creation. Yes. The very foundation. The plan was there. It, Absolutely. The it, With the, the, entire, the entire creation that culminated in man was engineered in a way that mankind could be redeemed. And that's, you could follow that through in the creation of soul life and, and the imparting of blood life and what God did and all of that. So, this, this, um, this suffering and glory, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Oh, we're, we're in the end times. Yes, you are. Have you ever wondered if you were in the end times? Yes. You were. Your parents were. Your grandparents were. Your great-grandparents were. And the apostles were. The apostles were. We've been in the end times for a bit, people. Okay? I <coughs> just we're at the end of the end times now. Hopefully. So it's not that we shouldn't be shocked, you know? Hopefully. I can't believe. I can't. When, but is it the end of the end? Is it the end of the end? You know, when, when I'm a patriot, you know, but when I hear things that basically say, I can't believe how far this country's gone south, I think, I'm amazed it's lasted this long. Well, that's true. I can't believe it's. Wow, what a run! I hope it goes longer. It can. You know? We just keep praying. We keep working. We keep testifying. We keep witnessing. Anyhow, don't think anything strange happening. But rejoice. Why? Insofar, this is why we rejoice in suffering. Why? Because we are sharing Christ's sufferings. We rejoice because we're getting closer to Jesus. That's where it is. It's not because we're masochistic. I was sharing, you know, this, this, this pursuing suffering. This woman's testimony was when she was a Catholic girl, she wanted to please God. She knew she had to, you know, he had to suffer for Jesus, so she put a rock in her shoe. And she would walk around with this rock in her shoe so she could suffer for Jesus. That's not what Scripture's talking about. She, wasn't, she was suffering because she but, put a rock in her shoe. Right, but any, any religious manifestation you've seen, and I mean, there's some really wild antics of this in the Philippines where, where you know, during Easter yes. people get themselves crucified and do all kinds of things. Hey, they do it in Hinduism. There, there's all this kind of, of self-inflicted pain, demonically driven, that is false offering up of suffering. We're not talking about that. We're talking about walking with Christ, and as the world rejected Christ, sometimes you can't, it's like seeing these opposites. Like, you know, you can know the love of God, but, I mean, the devil really is evil. I mean, Amen. he really is. He's no, there's no redeeming quality left in him. He's corrupted himself beyond repair. There, it's just, and so the world system is it's not operated for your benefit. Never has been, never will be. Nothing in the world's gonna run for your benefit until you get to take over it. And you get to take over it if you do like the king did. You love and suffer the consequences for it. Right? And in suffering Oh, you just lost one. I know. And in suffering <laughs> well, he understood he understood that holding it was not suffering for Christ, it was just being uncomfortable. Um, in suffering and sharing his sufferings, there is this unity with Christ that we we begin to approach that we there's no other path to do it. There's just no other way in. How are you gonna 
If you are insulted, anyway, if you rejoice as far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory in God rests upon you. When the world reviles you, God pours glory on you. This is how Jesus, with nails in his hands, would turn to a man and say, Today you will be with me in paradise. This is, if you read, if you read accounts of martyrs, this is how people who are being beaded, beaded, beaten, are, are testifying to their persecutors, or seeing their persecutors come to Christ, are able to go through the experience in a transcendent way. Okay? Because glory, Stephen, they're accusing him. They're getting ready to, they're stoning him, and, and they look up, and he's like shining like an angel. Why? Because he's suffering with Christ, and God is pouring glory on him. Mm. Amen? Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings. See, look, to know Jesus, to know Jesus, you have to be born again. When you're born again, guess what? You're experiencing the power of His resurrection. That's a given. Oh, but sharing in His sufferings and becoming like Him in His death, that's a walk. Understand? That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that's an entire teaching in itself. But that resurrection from the dead is not, is not the gathering together. It's not the rapture. It's something different. And it's not the resurrection of the just, as far as I understand it. It's the out-resurrection from among the dead. It's the choosing of the bride from the body of Christ. So, like I said, I wasn't sure how this was going to come out, but I shared about combat veterans. Those who have experienced suffering together have a level of fellowship that others cannot enter into. I read you my brother's testimony. I shared about that, um, that journalist. Uh, you talk to combat veterans, you'll find out. But we are, we don't, we don't battle against flesh and blood. We are in a war. It's been won already, but we're still on a battlefield. You know, read history. There's plenty of wars that ended, and then people, you know, battles happened after. Civil War, 1812, <clears throat> World War II. I mean, you know, it takes a while for the word to get out and combatants to stop. <laughs> right? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? See, these rewards aren't material trappings. They're not regalia. I get to walk around and check my crown out. Yeah, I'm going to throw this at Jesus' feet. It's pretty cool. Scripture says I can. <laughs> what crown's going to be at His feet? Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. And so, every person I've had the privilege to bring into the body of Christ through testimony of Jesus' saving grace, that in that day, in their immortal bodies, bows the knee and says, All hail, Lord Jesus. That's my crown. Amen. That's my rejoicing crown, casting down before Christ. What a party. I mean, we go to parties. Well, there's a party over at, uh, there's a party over at Joe's house. Who's he? I don't know. Who's coming? I don't know. I don't know anybody. There's good food, though. Well, let's go. Okay, maybe. 
But like, if the party is stocked with people you know and love, and they're serving chips, <laughs> you're showing up, right? Amen. Yep. I mean, you know. And this usually is better than chips, anyways. Right. <laughs> right. So what is our? What's our hope? What's our joy? Our crown? See, my hope is amplified by those I get to see. And it is an impact of age that the longer you live, there's more there than there are here. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because... <laughs> <laughs> I speak truth going up, sir. Amen. Amen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was, I was laughing with my sister today. I, I said, you know, comes a time, no one's ever going to... I'll be able to tell my story and no one can say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> no other, there's no other witness left. All right? You are our glory and joy. Amen. Amen. Jesus' joy are those who have repented and come to Him and are set free from sin and He has forever. That's the joy that kept Him here. What joy kept Him on the cross? Who for the joy laid before Him. Galatians chapter 2. In verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The joy laid before Him. Think about it. For the joy laid before Him. What? Sit on the right hand throne of the Father? That's where He left. Remember? Yeah. He was there before. Well, because he, he gets to fill all things. Yeah, he left all things. The experience he had not had in time was you. The joy laid before him was you. Was you. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Luke 15, verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, there's the feast. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Okay, rabbit trail. I know God's omniscient. He's omnipotent. And, and omnipotent. Omnipotent is the southern... That's his southern power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the southern power right there. Omnipotent is his theological power. Um, omnipresent, he's everywhere. But, hey, have you ever stopped to consider for a second that when you're struggling with, Lord, where are you? I'm struggling. I haven't heard from you. Where are you, Lord? Then maybe he's out looking for the one, and you're okay, really? <laughs> I mean, like, chill out, dude. You got green grass, oil, and water. What do you want from me? That's, that guy over there's on a cliff. That's, that's good. That's good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that. Think one. about that. I'm moaning that he hasn't been talking to me recently. I mean, he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He'll leave the ninety-nine. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says, let's eat them. No, he doesn't say that. I'm telling you, it's not about the food. Right? <laughs> Look, I found the lamb. Tasty chops tonight. Come on, guys. No. Rejoice with me. Here's my lamb. I lost it. It's here. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. What did Jesus start preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Why? So I can rejoice. So I can undo this mess that that evil one caused. So I can prove to him forever that his lie that I don't love is a lie. I mean, it's such an outrageous lie. I'm going to show outrageous love to prove the point for all eternity. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Well, what woman? You want to talk about something different? Let's talk about money. Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. You know, maybe if you're not talking to lost people, you're not looking for them. Because Jesus said the fields are white for harvest. You know, so if you found yourself in a Christian enclave and, and, and maybe you don't know where the treasure is, maybe you break out a light, start looking around. Till you find it, and she founds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. This is part of her dowry. This is her bridal arrangement, right? And she's not going to go out and buy something with it. This is her treasure. Rejoice with me. So I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. His joy was you. You get it? I mean, to me, this is like when, when you know, I was, I was meditating on this during the week, and, uh, oh, where have I been, you know? I thought, oh, yeah, he gets to sit by God. No, I was there before. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that's not part of it. It's part of it, but it's not the central theme, right? Revelation 19, verse 7. So let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now watch the language. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Now we're talking about the bride, and we're talking about herself. If anyone would follow me, be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross. What does it gain a man? It gains the whole world, and he loses his soul. Any part of your life you give to Jesus, you get to keep forever. Your spirit He already bought. He will redeem you all entire. All entire. Body, soul, and spirit. He's got all of you. It's your and your your quality of life will be excellent, or more excellent, or more excellent still. It's up to you. <laughs> right? It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. There's clothing that Christ clothes you with. That's His righteousness. And there's fine linen that you clothe yourself with. Those are your righteous deeds done in Christ. And lest you be afraid that I'm teaching a salvation of works, I am not. Let me read it to you right out of Ephesians. Ephesians hmm. 2. Uh-huh, for by grace you are saved. <clears throat> Verse 8, 
Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. It was granted to her. See that? It was granted to her. We're His workmanship. We're here because He, he, he made us, right? He granted this to us. Um, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. And those good works, those good works done that God had ordained for you to do, when He redeemed you. Think about being excited, right? You're going to redeem a people and you know what they're going to accomplish if they follow the program. You know what lives you're going to change through that individual. You know what miracles you're going to do. You know how you're going to show your love and glory to, to entire peoples through that person. How excited would you be? How excited are you when your kid first starts riding a bicycle? Mm. How excited are you when they get their first job, talk for the first time, walk for the first time? You're excited. Yes. God's excited for the things He has for you to do and the things that you do in Him because of what He has done in you become that wedding garment. So now you can think about all those wedding parables that Jesus told about people being inappropriately dressed and people being correctly dressed. And this is what that explains because it's the book of Revelation, not the book of Hidings, right? So we rejoice. Jesus' joy is the joy that says people are going to come into the kingdom because of my abiding in the truth. Because of my abiding in Christ and God's love. This was Jesus' prayer in John 17, that they might be one even as you and I are one. Okay? And so in abiding in that, I have no greater joy, God says, that my, than to know that my children walk in the truth. So your walk in the truth in Christ is going to shake up the world. And when, when the world gets shaken up, it will fight against because the evil one wants people trapped in darkness. And you're a walking light bulb. So when you turn it on, it causes some problems. So that when backlash comes, and you decide not to back away from righteousness, but to press in love, you begin to share in Christ's motivation, Christ's character, Christ's endurance, the things that Christ would do, like spit in people's eyes and wash dirty feet and get beaten naked and hung on a tree for you and not worry about that being a disgrace to Him, only being concerned about the grace He was going to pour out to you. That joy carries you through. What carries you through, parents, at night when your babies are crying and you haven't slept in like three decades? You know? Tell your wife to get up and I'll go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what carries you through... What carries you through that is for the joy laid before. You know there's something coming. You know there's a wonderful season coming. There are times coming, right? What carries a woman through labor? But the joy that a man-child is born in the world, right? Um, that and then God rigged it so that like there's this big hormone crash and they're like, oh, I forgot what just happened. Thank you. Thank you, Father. <laughs> that whole memory wipe drug, God came up with it first. Just saying. Anyhow. That joy is people. That's the revelation I got. Mm -hmm. His joy was you. 
That's what carried him through. And so when we're running, looking to Jesus, standing for the truth, there's a purpose to it. There's an increase to it. You should be actively thinking, looking, and finding the lost sheep, the lost coin, so that you have a crown of rejoicing when he comes. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. The bathroom on, it's open.